Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. We are coming to you from lovely Reston, Virginia. And we've almost reached our 35th anniversary of taping and transcribing, consuming and imbibing the worst of the liberal media here at the Media Research Center. We have some news, some breaking scooplet. MSNBC has nominated Alex Wagner. There's no confirmation process. Alex Wagner is taking over four-fifths of the Rachel Maddow show. Tuesday to Friday, Rachel will still tip dip her toe in on Mondays. It's kind of funny, you know, Rachel Maddow on the left sort of occupies this mythic place. Because on the left, they always seem to try to forget that Fox News has the best ratings in cable. So when they talk about ratings in cable, they're really talking about ratings in left-wing cable. So Brian Stelter in the Reliably Liberal Reliable Sources newsletter said, No one thinks... Alex Wagner, can accomplish what Maddow did at launch in 2008, or that anyone could. As I wrote back then, Maddow did something that is virtually unheard of by doubling MSNBC's 9 p.m. audience in a matter of days. How hard is that? (laughs) We would joke, oh, from 300 to 600. Well, okay. But... Uh, Stelter went on, maybe the idea of a rating superhero. What? (laughs) Ms. Marvel Maddow. A rating superhero magnetically drawing back viewers that have drifted away from cable news is a fantasy. TV, after all, has always been about the long game. And then Stelter notes, MSNBC's primetime base has dramatically declined ever since Maddow shifted to once a week. Now, that is not just about Maddow. That is also, to some degree, about Biden. These people used to always watch these shows because Trump was always in danger of ruining America at any hour. Now, Joe Biden's president, so they're safe, but it, it's not going well. So what you have is a demoralized Democrat base. We're kind of enjoying this, you know, when the uh, Twitter is still liberal. When you look at trending, you still know Twitter is mostly liberals because when usually when MSNBC personalities trend, it's going to be MSNBC's base being unhappy. So usually it's like Chuck Todd. They get really unhappy because Chuck Todd's such a right winger. Um, And then it was, you know, Andrea Mitchell. Andrea Mitchell wasn't pro-Democrat enough. She wasn't liberal enough. And then, I think it was yesterday, it was Chris Hayes. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, what did Chris Hayes do that they're going to be upset about? Well, then they're basically, I guess, because Hillary was running around on television, they were remembering that Chris Hayes was too much of a Bernie bro and somehow contributed to Hillary losing in 2016. At this time, it's Peter Alexander is trending because he had the audacity to say, well, the people in the Secret Service who were cited in the January 6th hearing say 
this woman, Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony was not accurate. This, of course, uh, there were several tweets I found quite amusing about how somehow uh, Peter Alexander is, is, is like Peter Ducey. You know, it, it, he's always been a shill for the Republicans, you know. <laughs> so the idea that MSNBC has a base that it has to keep happy and that it can be a difficult process, well, we have to understand that. Now, back in 2008, it was September, right after Labor Day, when Rachel Maddow began, we wrote at the time, or I wrote at the time, the Boston Globe greeted the debut of hard-left Air America radio host Rachel Maddow's new show with a bouquet of praise. Yes, if you don't remember Air America, they launched that in 2004 uh, to take down George W. Bush, and they had stars like Rachel Maddow and, uh, and Al Franken. Uh, but Rachel Maddow was really the one that graduated, so to speak, from Air America Radio into MSNBC. The Boston Globe wrote a piece headlined, A Liberal Pundit Soars to a Prominent Perch. Yeah, how's that for a, a puffball piece? Maddow's not only a key face of the new feisty ratings-boosted MSNBC. What? <laughs> Ugh, she's affable and erudite. She's cripplingly patriotic. Okay, now talk about a phrase you could not use now in 2022. You wouldn't want to be cripplingly anything. That is, that is just not a word you should be using. And she has a yen for national security issues. Maybe that would be also... <laughs> a yen? What kind of racist term is that? Uh, but... Uh, the Boston Globe was declaring that Maddow was the cream of Air America's crop. She was the definition of an entertaining liberal talker, and she was just so smart. And then they went to Bill Wolf, who was the vice president of MSNBC's primetime, and ran his puffball quotes. I look at the MSNBC brand as high-powered intellects, he said. <laughs> I'm not saying we're NPR. Oh, Apparently, that's the branding for high-powered intellects. Maybe that's the branding for not-so-entertaining liberal talk. I'm not saying we're NPR, but there's an appetite for really smart discussion of the news. One of the things that separates Rachel from many people is the amount of fresh information she brings to her storytelling. She really often isn't expressing an opinion as much as laying out facts that leads to the conclusion. <laughs> Rachel Maddow, she's not opinionated. She's just a reporter. I mean, can you can you see the kind of spin they tried to launch her with? Now, obviously, they had success because the left wing loves her. Uh, she She's so cocky about it. She's like, I only want to work Mondays. Then comes Maddow's commentary. As a host, Maddow says... She expects to continue debating on her show, but only as a part of a bro broader repertoire of reported pieces, interviews, and commentaries. I won't be punching Judy. I'm not into the fight for the sake of the fight. It's not If it's not illuminating to present two sides of an issue, I don't want to, she said. Well, the MSNBC base has already illustrated it doesn't want two sides of anything and usually doesn't think there is such a thing 
as two sides of anything unless it's uh, Chuck Todd was too cold and Chris Hayes was too hot or, or something. They said, Somehow MSNBC needs to be MSDNC at all times. If it doesn't elect Democrats, it fails as a cable news enterprise. This is why it's always kind of fascinating that they're like, oh, MSNBC and CNN are news and Fox News is all opinion. I think we're at a point now where we can say, mm, these are pretty similar. We've done the studies. We've shown it. You know, actual reporting or actual live coverage of things is a, is a fraction of what all of these channels do now. Now, when Rachel Maddow debuted, I think it was September 8, 2008, um, I was asked about it on the show Fox and Friends. This got me in some trouble. They were asking after they just had the convention, um, or maybe they were coming into the convention, but they were saying, well, what is this thing about using Keith Olbermann and Chris Matthews as the anchor during special election prod programming? And uh, they were you know, Fox was suggesting this was going to be was going to do damage to the MSNBC brand. And uh, my response was to say, not only is the damage already done, the damage continues. Not only are they keeping these people on for an hour a night, they're adding this lesbian Air America radio host, Rachel Maddow, on every night. So they're really entrenching and solidifying a left-wing agenda on this network. Now, guess which part of this got Tim Graham in trouble? It was the L word. Uh-oh. Was it inaccurate? No. You know what was the problem? You said lesbian in a way that sounds disapproving. Now, obviously, I was using it as a modifier for leftist. I had written that she was a radical left lesbian radio hostess, you know, on Newsbusters. Uh, but th this, this got me in trouble. It was on left-wing websites, the Huff Post, and all these people were all upset. Tim Graham called Rachel Maddow a lesbian on Fox. Yes, and, and then suddenly I wasn't on Fox and Friends for a year or two. <laughs> oh, the idea that this would cause you trouble. Well, but you seem to imply that being a lesbian puts you on the left. Well, often, in terms of political classification, that would work. And I also cited Air America. Yes, Air America, which was a radical left radio network to the left of the Democratic mainstream. Oh, the trouble I get in. So that's been a long time ago. And now we're at a point where the MSNBC base almost looks at Rachel Maddow as sort of the Walter Cronkite of their, uh, of their day. You remember when uh, Ryan Murphy made this uh, series about how the liberals couldn't accept the 2016 election results, the famous, what about Merrick Garland quote? But they were also screaming, I won't believe it until Rachel Maddow says it so. That's, that's where we are. So CNN and MSNBC should not be mistaken for news networks. And I think we can go back and look at some of, the, uh, some of their uh, higher moments like, oh, let's put on Michael Avenatti hundreds of times. Well, that's because Michael Avenatti was offering 
what they thought was the dirt that would ruin Trump. There was nothing they were more interested in than the dirt that would ruin Trump. This continues till this day. And then Peter Alexander has to ruin it by suggesting the testimony in the January 6th hearing mm, was being challenged for being not quite factual. Don't do that. NBC isn't supposed to interview people and offer a counterexample. Oh, by the way, Bill D'Agostino has a thing that we put up at Newsbusters that showed that there were, uh, since the ruling on the Supreme Court, 65 interviews on CNN and MSNBC of staffers at Planned Parenthood. <laughs> They're the Michael Avenatti's of abortion, apparently. 48 of the 65 on MSNBC. So that's that's pretty amazing. I mean, again, to me, what usually doesn't happen here is the idea that Planned Parenthood comes on and is presented somehow as a, a health care provider, a compassionate health care provider, and never as an abortion conglomerate that profits off the murder of children. You know, whenever somebody puts a ban on abortion, it cripples their business model. And they run around with this utterly false, even the independent fact checkers say it's false, idea that 3% of their procedures are abortions. Mm-hmm. That's why the Planned Parenthood centers are going to close if they ban the abortions. It's 3%. Eh. So when we were talking about abortion, Planned Parenthood has run around. They're putting ads on the TV now. CNN sounds like an advertisement for Planned Parenthood. If the interview with the Planned Parenthood staffer isn't good enough, well, we'll also run their 30-second commercials. Bans off our bodies. Uh, I went to see what their new website spurned off this uh, off this TV ad said. I, I got a kick out of this. There are protest tips. It's our fight. Let's do it right. So, of course, the natural thing I thought of is, okay, whatever they're telling the protesters to say and not to say is also what they're telling the media to say or not to say. So this is kind of fun. Let's take a look. Language and symbols to avoid. There are several slogans and symbols that we don't use because they are stigmatizing, divisive, and counterproductive to the movement. Some of these might be a little surprising. Hangers. Coat hanger images represented deaths from self-managed abortions before the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. But the anti-abortion movement twisted this symbol to associate all abortion with death. You may laugh right there. How dare the anti-abortion movement associate all abortion with death? <laughs> Let's avoid stigmatizing abortion especially self-managed abortion, and leave this outdated symbol out, capital O-U-T. All right, what else is on the list of language and symbols to avoid? Heavy, quote-unquote, pro-choice messages. What? That's out? They say black, Latino, indigenous, and other people of color have been shut out of the healthcare system due to this country's legacy of racism and discrimination. As women of color in the reproductive justice movement have made clear, choice wording is an affront to these communities because it suggests they have a choice or it suggests they have the same access as others. This is a really interesting list. Also out, 
Handmaid's Tale references. This is Planned Parenthood talking. For people who don't have access to abortion and other health care, bonnets and red capes can feel insensitive. Better option, wear something that expresses your individuality and your freedom to make your own choices about your body. But lead with comfort, wearing walking shoes and bringing rain gear in case of showers. Yes, what you see when you've seen some of these things, uh, the uh, people hanging out outside the Supreme Court, as you often see, topless, unattractive women with stickers on their boobs. That is apparently wearing something that expresses your individuality. Also, Planned Parenthood says, steer clear of anti-abortion languages or images. Steer clear of the opposition's inaccuracies, misinformation, and harmful imagery. Otherwise, you are only advancing their propaganda and reinforcing stigma. Now, they don't have any examples of what that would be. Then they also link to their allied group, Liberate Abortion. They also suggest the coat hanger and the handmade tail stuff are anti-abortion images. That's news to me. I don't think they're anti-abortion images. I just think that they're saying to their own people, their way of discouraging you from using it is to go, that's an anti-abortion thing. And then they go, oh. Also on the Planned Parenthood website, word-wise, do's and don'ts. Now, some of these you can guess. These are easier to guess than the idea that the coat hangers and the handmaid's tails now outre. When you're speaking up for abortion rights at a rally or online, be inclusive and supportive. Help people of all races and genders in this movement feel embraced, not excluded. Don't make them feel aborted. No, I added that part. So, of course, you have to include gender-neutral language. Don't just say women, say people. Trans men and non-binary people need abortions, too. Yes, you would think that trans men would especially want an abortion because being pregnant is not a men thing. Don't just say girls. Say children or young people. Trans and non-binary kids are in this movement too. Pregnant person is preferable to mother. People have unique relationships with their pregnancies and identify in a variety of ways. Yeah, this is the closest they get to, dis- to uh, uh, discussing a baby. People have unique relationships with their pregnancies. You know your relationship with your pregnancy is dysfunctional when you want to destroy it. This is also not on the Planned Parenthood website. And then they say, remember, gender-inclusive language doesn't leave women out. To the contrary, it ensures that we are clear. Everyone, everyone capitalized, deserves access to abortion. Now, there's also some terms they prefer to be, quote-unquote, specific and accurate. Say health center or abortion provider rather than clinic. Oh, the word clinic is out. A clinic is a specific type of health center, so only use it if the location calls itself a clinic. An abortion provider is a place or person that provides abortion. It doesn't say, don't say abortionist, we'll lose our minds. Say anti-abortion rather than pro-life. The term pro-life is intentionally misleading. Yes, when we say we're pro-life, we're misleading. Unlike people saying we're... (laughs) 
<laughs> We're not killing a baby. People somehow unfairly associate abortion with death. <laughs> this really does sound just like the media handbook. Say abortion rights supporter or pro-abortion access rather than pro-choice. Remember, you don't really have a choice if you don't have access. See, they're very hot on the access. What they're really saying there is money. They're upset that the federal government doesn't bring the money to the abortionist. Oh! <laughs> so, I mean, this is what you, you always have to try to keep track of the way the liberal lingo sort of changes and molds. And I guess it makes it easier to trigger them by using their old language, language and saying, now that pro-choice crowd over there, wait a minute, don't call us pro-choice. <laughs> so this is how we try to keep track. You know, we're trying to keep track of Planned Parenthood. The liberal media loves Planned Parenthood. They do everything they can. They're Planned Parenthood publicists. They're never more unhappy than when Planned Parenthood can't make a profit they don't want to tell you what Planned Parenthood does, what they, how they dispose of the bodies, or how they make money off the corpses. These are things we won't be discussing. We're going to discuss things like rape and incest. We like those exceptions. We're going to talk up things that make the other signs sound kooky. And we're not going to talk about post-birth abortions, even though we're in favor of those. Yes, their language, their lingo for the media is all understood. Here's our word wise do's and don'ts. We expect you to follow them to the letter. And guess what? They generally do. You know, you try to listen to um, NPR or one, things like this. This is the other term. One last thing. This is the other term that drives me nuts. They provide abortion care. Huh? Yeah, that's like, you know, yes, we put the guy to die in the electric chair. We called it execution care. I mean, it's, they're trying to add happy-sounding words to what is death. Yes, unfortunately, we're going to keep associating abortion with death. Because it's science, you know. If you want to keep track of how the media covers the abortion issue, and it's usually badly, that's been a special focus of us here at Newsbusters. So come by once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening. <laughs>